When my children were little, they had many favorite books to be read to them at bedtime. Mercifully, the reign of a particularly dreadful Barbie book was short, uh, aided in part by its mysterious disappearance. No idea where that went. Don't worry about it. Yep. <laughs> Luckily, some books were favorites of us all. Buddha at Bedtime was one such book. A collection of short parables with two-sentence morals at the end, taking only five minutes to read each, and accompanied by vibrant illustrations, this book kept us coming back until I was sure I had every story memorized, and certain pages just opened on their own. One such self-opening page was a parable called The Princesses and the King Shuck Tree. <laughs> in this story, four princesses are taken in turn by a wise gardener to gaze upon a magical tree, one that only reveals itself to people on their birthday. The eldest princess's birthday is first, and she gazes in wonder at a willowy tree with emerald green leaves. She keeps the secret of what she has seen, as does each princess after her. A few months later, the next princess finds a tree full of fragrant, deep red blossoms. The third sister's birthday shows a tree full of luscious purple fruits on the occasion of her birthday. Finally, the last sister's birthday arrives, and she sees magnificent silver sparkling branches. When at last they have all had their birthdays, and they may finally discuss the magical tree they have seen, they argue about its true nature. Each is certain that the others must be mistaken, for they saw the true nature of the tree. The gardener reminds them that to fully appreciate and understand the true nature of the tree, they would need to visit in all seasons, which is impossible. The moral given for this story in the book is this. What we first see may not always give us the whole picture. A wise person knows that to discover the truth about anything, they must learn from other people's insights as well as their own. This tale has always reminded me of the more famous parable that is found in Buddhist, Hindu, and Jain traditions, among others, of the blind men and the elephant. There are many different versions of this tale, but they all hold the same essential story. A group of blind men happen upon an elephant, and with each touching a different part of the animal, describe very different realities. One grasps the trunk and concludes it's a snake. Another explores the elephant's legs and describes it as a tree. The third finds the elephant's tail and announces that it is a rope. And the fourth blind man, after discovering the elephant's side, concludes that it is clearly a wall. This parable is generally understood as a demonstration of our folly in claiming absolute truth based on our limited subjective experience, while we ignore other people's experiences, which may be equally true. For some theologians, the elephant represents God. And the tale demonstrates that the totality of God is unknowable by any one person. He is too big, too mysterious, and faith has to bring each blind man the rest of the way to knowing him. Another interpretation of this parable is that it is a demonstration that different religions of the world are equally valid in their very different understandings of the divine. The fact that Christians have descriptions of the divine that differ from Muslims and Jews from Taoists and so on in ways that are radically different, even contradictory, is just an example of different people holding different parts of the elephant. For me, as a humanist and agnostic, the elephant doesn't represent God. The elephant is an elephant. And it represents the whole essential, wrinkly, enormous truth. And... The elephant isn't the point. 
How do we hold differing truths in the same space in relationship with another human being? And when this happens, how do we assess what is true? In both the elephant story and the king shuck tree story, each person's perspective is, has equal validity, equal claims to the mantle of truth. And it is only through initial disagreement and sharing of their limited truths with one another that the whole truth is revealed. The wisdom of the elephant story or the king shuck tree story lies in that moment of conflict when the blind men and the princesses disagree, in the conversation between people, in the listening to each person's story, and in the questioning of one's own perceptions, beliefs, and conclusions. Are we truly open to learning from our other fellow travelers? And then, are we truly able to see our own limitations and biases? For me, the crux of these stories is in that moment of disagreement. Last week, Ricky preached really beautifully about creating a pause at that moment allowing space in the instant of judgment where many of us instinctively jump to the judgment of good or bad, agree or disagree. This is hard work. For me, it is in relationship and specifically in conflict that my deepest spiritual work is done. Conflict inherently involves vulnerability. If you've read any Brene Brown, that's what I've been reading lately. It involves the possibility of a break in the relationship through acrimony, rejection, or anger. It involves the possibility that we will be wrong, or at least not 100% right. But if we enter that conversation with curiosity and humility, not just about what others think and perceive, but about what we think and perceive and why, we have an opportunity for growth and deeper understanding. And what about the introspection of each seer? What makes us take what we see and then think about it in the ways that we do? These stories don't explore that, but we should. My experience both in psychotherapy and in this faith tradition have taught me to question my initial reactions to and assumptions about almost everyone and everything. I ask myself, what am I bringing to this moment that will color what I see and affect how I interpret what is happening before me? Conflict doesn't have to be threatening to our sense of self or our relationships. It can be a chance for curiosity and learning. What if conflict and difference was actually essential to finding depth and meaning in any relationship? When I think about these tales, I try to find a similar experience, a moment of my life that exemplified this story, but I kept hitting a wall because these two tales are overly simplistic. In both, there is an unusually, even unnaturally level playing field, with each person's perspective limited in exactly the same way for the exact same amount. We are to presume that no one person is more or better informed than any other in these stories. They are truly equal in their level of knowing, or of not knowing, the whole truth. So if you simply put those puzzle pieces together of their knowledge, you make the whole truth. In real life, it's just not that simple. Sometimes, one person's perception is more complete, more informed. Perhaps one of the blind men felt his way around the whole elephant and truly has more complete information than the others. Or maybe one of the blind men has studied elephants in school or worked with them for years and has all this extensive study or experience. Wouldn't that person's understanding have more clout in determining what is true about what they all are touching? Personal histories matter. 
Biases matter. Context matters. What if one blind man read daily news reports that there's no such thing as elephants and that the ropes are taking over? Beware. <laughs> that elephant talk is all fake news. Look, so I tried to avoid talking about politics with this sermon, but clearly I failed. It's impossible for me to not see comparisons to our current national political climate when I think about these stories. With differing news sources exacerbating our already entrenched ideas of what is true, we are perilously close to not being able to talk about the elephant or the king shuck tree at all. In other political eras of my life, it felt like someone on a different part of the political spectrum was just holding a different part of the elephant. Now it feels like we're holding entirely different animals altogether. I'd like to say I have hope for us to be able to have these conversations across our divides. I can only say I'm focused on myself and what I can do in the here and now to integrate information through clear-eyed inquiry. Do we ever have an elephant, a reality that is seen differently by different people in this congregation or in our wider UU community? Of course. Church members may share common goals and principles, but we differ in many ways, and inevitably, that leads to different opinions and conclusions. My hope is that our strength and growth happens because of these differences, not in spite of them. I want us to become adept at these conversations and at the integration of unique perspectives. Our congregation should not be measured by how few disagreements we have, but by how well we manage the ones that naturally arise. As you use, we are guided by our seven principles, and I have embraced and struggled with each of them in turn over the years. I can see all of the principles at work in these two stories, but I particularly think about the fourth principle, and you're welcome to look on the back of your order of service. They're listed there. The free and responsible search for truth and meaning. In the past, this principle has always seemed like a no-brainer, but lately, the word responsible stops me short. Responsible for what? To whom? The free part, I think I get. We're all free to pull from our sources of wisdom, to have our sensory experiences, to gain our intellectual knowledge, and then to draw conclusions from all of it. And we should strive for systems and institutions that promote freedom for all people. The blind men and the princesses should be free to have their experiences and draw their conclusions. But to be responsible, we must not rest there. We must reach past what feels to be initially all there is and remain curious about that which we do not know, about the fact that there very likely is much that we do not know. If we're responsible in our search for truth and meaning, we must consider whose voices may be shut out of the conversation entirely and about the power differentials inherent in so many conflicts. We are responsible for trying to understand as much of the whole elephant as we can and for understanding also the limits of each princess's knowledge of that king shuck tree. I believe that we're responsible to ourselves, to each other, and to the common good. We must view our initial perceptions and reactive thoughts through the lens of what we know about ourselves, our biases, our history, 
We need to investigate our own ideas with the same skepticism that we might investigate our neighbor's ideas. Then we can encourage acceptance and growth in ourselves and others. Then that moment of conflict can create better understanding and a truthful integration of information. Then we'll be both free and responsible. Please rise, embody your spirit, and join me in singing hymn number 131, What Love Will Guide Us.